Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. So if you are here at Northridge, here in the room for the very first time, thank you for being here for the very first time. If you are listening or watching online for the very first time, thank you for doing that for the first time. And if you're here and you're like, no, I've been here a lot of times, I'm still glad that you're here too. Um, we're just glad that everybody's here and we are here to worship God and we've already done that, but we're continuing to do that. And even though this doesn't feel the same as singing, as we listen and as we dig into God's word, into scripture, this is another way that we worship him. When we dig into his word, when we listen to his words, that is a way to worship him. In fact, one of the best ways to worship God is to listen to his voice and follow what he says. And so that's this part of the, the worship service is where we worship by listening and hearing what God has to tell us. And by the way, just because I'm saying the words, all of you are going to hear something different. You know that? Did you realize that? Do you know that it happens? Uh, you understand, I'm not even close to my notes and we just started. Okay? Did you know that, that, that people walk out all the time and they say, you know what I love? I love when you said this. And I'm like, that's cool. I never said that. <laughs> Happens all the time. Just about every week. People say, I love when you, I never said that. <laughs> you know who said that? God said that to you. So I have some words today, but I want you to listen behind the words because God has something to say to you. We good? So glad you're here. So I uh, just wanted to put a little promo, a little plug in. At the end of this month, literally the last day of this month, we have a really important day in the life of Northridge, but way more important in the life of Christianity and faith. It is called Easter. And let me just say, it doesn't get bigger than Easter in our faith, because if Jesus is still in the grave, then we worship a dead God. Okay, and so Easter is kind of a big deal. We get to really get together. We bring everybody. And so I, I'm just going to ask you very simply to do one thing. Be here. Show up. Let's go. Okay, as, as my teenagers say, let's go. You know, they don't say, let's go. They're like, let's go. You know, when they're really excited about something. And, uh, and so that's what I hear. So what I would say about Easter is, let's go. Be here. Show up. Be ready and invite as many people as you know who are breathing still to come with you. Is that cool? Invite them in. And, and you might say, well, why are we doing that? Is that because we want a big service? No. It's because we're going to talk about the most important aspect of our faith. The fact that Jesus is not conquered by sin and death, but that God conquered sin and death. And we're going to celebrate it. And we want to do that together. If there's the biggest party in town, like, that's what we should do, right? And so I want to invite you to do that. That's on March 31st, the week before that, Palm Sunday. We've got some really cool things planned, but I'll be honest. Whatever we expect God to do, God does something different and more unexpected. And so that's what I'm looking forward to uh, on Palm Sunday and Easter. So looking forward to seeing you there and everybody else that you know. That's going to be awesome. Um, so have you noticed that... If you look back in history and you do word studies, you will find that what words used to mean and what words mean now are two different things. Have you noticed that? So, for example, if I say the word flirt, <laughs> right? Flirt. 
flirt right away. What we think of, at least in our context, in our culture, is we think of somebody acting stupidly in order to gain the attention of somebody else. Right? When you see somebody flirting, you're like, wow, they are really trying to flirt there. Right? Everybody sees it for what it is, but the person who's flirting and the person who's receiving the flirt, sometimes they recognize it, sometimes they don't. But did you know that if you go back a few hundred years to the word flirt, it doesn't mean to like, try to gain the attention of somebody. It means to flick something off of you. Huh, huh, cool. I flirted it. <laughs> it's weird, but that's true. Okay. Let me, let me give you another one. Uh, swipe. Okay. Now, sw- you know what swipe used to be? Swipe used to be like a hand motion. I don't even know what it was, but it was a hand motion that you would use to kind of dismiss somebody. It was like an insult to somebody. It was kind of like how we use um, one of our fingers if somebody cuts in front of us in traffic. You know, it's kind of like that. It was, a, it was a swipe. Well, now, obviously, if we use the word swipe, most of the time, at least what I think of, is I think of using a touchscreen, right? Swipe. That's what we do. We swipe all the time, and we know that that pertains to a touchscreen. Or maybe the word troll. You know what a troll used to be? A troll used to be a Scandinavian, like, ugly creature that lived in a cave. You know? Trolls. But now, what do we call trolls? We call them people who live on the internet trying to start arguments. Those are trolls. Anybody have a troll in their life? If the person's sitting next to you, don't look at them right now, because that's going to be awkward. Let me give you one more, viral. <laughs> Just 50, I kid you not, like 40, 50 years ago, you go up to somebody and say, somebody's going viral, that was bad. <laughs> They're viral. They're like, ooh, okay, stay away. But now, obviously, that's not at all what it means. When somebody goes viral, we know they're getting popular. They're gaining traction on the Internet. Their video's going out far and wide. Everybody in the world's watching it. We know that they've gone viral. It's a totally different thing. Now, the question that I have for you is today is, why in the world would I start with these weird words? And the reason is to make this point. Definitions matter. Don't they? How we define things matter. So keep that in mind as we dig in. So we're going to continue the series that we've been in called simply God Is. The first week we talked about God is personal. God knows you personally. He knows everything about you. We talked about that. Last week, Pastor Nick talked about the fact that God is Redeemer. He is not just redeeming, He is Redeemer. He seeks to take everything that is wrong and make it right. He is Redeemer. Today is more of a general thing that we could take about a thousand different ways. Today we're going to learn from Scripture that God is love. God is love. God doesn't just love, he is love. So what I want to do is I want to start by giving you two definitions for love. Now both of these definitions are truth. Both of these definitions are founded in scripture. And so both of these definitions of love can be trusted. Okay? So let me start with the first one. And by by the way, um, these come out of scripture because here's why. Remember, one of the goals, and I was very clear about this from the very first week, so two weeks ago, one of the goals of this series is to get all of you into God's Word on your own, okay? You should be reading this, studying this, thinking about this, wondering about this on your own as often as you can, 
Because this book, these words, the truth of Scripture will tell you more than anything, this is the most important piece, who God is. So I'm going to take two definitions for love, and both of them are going to come out of God's Word. Okay, So the first one we're going to come, comes out of uh, the book of 1 John. Now, the Apostle John walked and talked physically with Jesus. Okay, So 1 John, John writes this about God and about us and about Jesus. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now I'm going to jump down a few verses later, 16 and 17. He continues and he says, God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. Are you confused yet? Okay. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I want us to catch a distinction here at the end there. It doesn't say your love grows perfect. It grows more perfect. We're, it, it's a direction. Okay? We, we, we don't have perfect love here. I, I don't know about you, but I don't love perfectly. But it's saying that that's the direction we're going. So that's the first definition. Now, what is the definition? If I were to summarize what John, the Apostle John, just said about God, it would be three words. It's very simple. God is love. Done. Period. Yes, God loves you. God loves me. God loves everybody. Yes, but it's actually deeper than that. It's more than that. God is love. God is love. If you want to know love, know God. If you want to know more about love, get to know God. Study God. Look at God. Read about God. God is love. There is no love without God. Now, this is very countercultural because most of our culture does not believe that God and love are synonymous. That you, you, our culture believes you can have one without the other. And what I'm telling you is that Scripture tells us that's actually not possible because love actually comes from, it exists because of, and is God. That's where love is. Now, let me give you a second definition. This second definition, probably you've heard a little bit more often, okay? Uh, if you've been to many weddings at all, my guess is you've heard this next definition of love because it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and guess what we call that? We call it the love chapter, okay? The reason we call it the love chapter is because it talks about love the whole time. 1 Corinthians 13, love, okay? Now, I've done a lot of weddings, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40, Okay, and uh, I looked it up, and I've probably read this definition for love at about a third of them. Okay, uh, so some of you in here, I know, have done your wedding. You're like, you didn't read that at our wedding. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, I'll pray for you. We'll do counseling later. It's fine. Okay, but I have read this many, many times at weddings, and the reason is because it is a powerful and truthful and foundational definition of love. If we have love that is different than this, then it's actually not love. It's something else. That's how powerful we need to take these words. 
All right, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes about love. I'm going to start with verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So let's talk about this for just a few minutes, all right? Let's walk through this. Because I think one thing that we look at this and we see this is quite a list. This is quite a high bar. If you think about love and you're like, man... That's really, like the bar is really high. That is a high shelf. Love is patient, it's kind, it's never irritable, it's never rude, it's not boastful, it's not jealous, it's not, man, I don't know about you, but do you look at that list and you're like, I suck. Because <laughs> that's what I do. I'm serious, I read that, I'm like, man, I've got a long way to go. But here's the truth. This also illustrates something really important. Love is definitely an emotion, it's a feeling. Okay, we all know that because you've probably experienced it. When you feel love, you're like, ooh, that's love. Okay, true. It's an emotion. It's a feeling, something we definitely experience as a feeling. But did you know that love is also a choice and a commitment? Did you realize that? It is a choice and a commitment that you have. It is in your court. We're less comfortable with that. I know that that's why we get quiet for a moment there because it's like, uh, Hold on. I like the romantic like that. I saw him from across the room. I saw her across the room and it's like, oh, you know, the halo and the thing. And you're like, it's the flirting started and, you know, all that stuff. Like, you're like, we get that love is an emotion. It makes sense to us. And we love that. We're like, oh, the butterflies. And mm, it's amazing. That's beautiful. But did you know that love is also a choice and a commitment? Let me walk through these words. Okay? Love is patient and kind. Those two words are less emotion and more commitment, are they not? I don't know about you, but the amount of times that I feel patient is not often. Can I just be honest? When somebody cuts me off in traffic, I told you about the, little, the wonderful middle finger. The truth is, that's what I, I don't usually give them the middle finger, right? Because I'm like, oh, okay, I shouldn't do that. But in my head, I'm giving them the middle finger. I'm just going, you know, I want to give them the middle finger, but I know I shouldn't. So I'm not going to. Why? Because I don't feel patient most of my life. I don't. When the person is clearly, it's the first time this grocery cashier has ever seen a cash register. It's their first time, obviously, and I chose their line. You, you know what I'm feeling? Oh, I'm so thankful that I can be experience this person's first day. This is going to be amazing. That's not my thought. I'm like, dang it, I chose the wrong line. How can I get out of here? Self-checkout, perfect. <laughs> Because I don't feel patience. I don't feel kindness all the time. What is patience? What is kindness? It's a commitment. The next line is, it's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. There's some emotion in there for sure, but it's more a commitment, isn't it? And by the way, those are the easy parts of the definition. Let's go to the, let's go to the next part. You know, this, this, is, this is the tougher part. 
Love does not demand its own way. In other words, it's not selfish. Oh, okay, that's harder. It's not irritable. Ah, uh, hmm, okay. And it keeps no record of being wronged. Oh, I failed. <laughs> I failed several times over. Anybody, and, and the truth is we all do, don't we? We all do. Because I don't know how many of you in here would say, I've never been irritable. I've ne- I literally, I've ne- it's never happened. I've never been irritable. It's amazing. Okay? How many in here would say, I've never brought up something that somebody else ever did wrong in an argument. Like, I never did it. I never even thought it. Because I'm just that holy. It's amazing. Of course not. Why? Because we're not perfect in our love. But this is the standard that we're shooting for. It's hard. And then it says, it does not rejoice about injustice. It rejoices when the truth wins out. Truth and love go hand in hand. But can I be honest? A lot of the people that I talk to, a lot of the people that I work with, sometimes, you know, how, how we struggle. Truth is hard to bring because it brings conflict. Doesn't it? I don't know about you, but in my life, truth brings conflict. And it's hard to have this standard. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. If God is love, he's the definition of love. If we, if we get that, if we know that, and if this is true, if this is the definition of love, love is patient and kind, it's not rude, it's not boastful, it's not irritable, it never gives up, it never loses hope, it's always faithful, it's always, okay, all of these things. If that is true, then let me ask you a simple question. Why do we as human beings struggle so much with love? Why? Why do we struggle with with relationships and and how we work this out? Why do we struggle with it? I want to give you three reasons why today. And you're like, oh, three reasons? I would have been fine with one, but okay. We're going to give you three. Let me jump in. Number one, our experience with love is tainted. It's tainted. I know, I just dropped the uncomfortable bomb. But it is. It's a bit messed up. Our experience with love is tainted. And the reason is, now I could go a hundred different ways with this, and some of you are like, oh, here we go. We're getting into the big one now. But here's what, I'm going to keep it really actually simple. How many of you have experienced a relationship where you thought it was going one direction and then all of a sudden that person changed that direction on you. Anybody experience that? For sure, I have. Sometimes I did that to somebody else. Sometimes they did that to me. Okay? That love is, that's hard. It's like, oh, I thought we were going this direction, but now we're going this direction. Okay. How many of you have had a moment where you had somebody that in front of you that you love dearly, like deeply, and then you get into an argument and, and you say something you didn't mean to say? Yet your words came out a little too fast for your brain to reel it back in. How many of you, like, as the words are going out, you're like, yeah, no, 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 oh, dang it. I've had that moment. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no, should it? Nah, it was out loud. I'm done. I'm an idiot. There's the couch. Yeah? How many of us have had 
a situation where we were in a trusting, loving relationship. It could have been romantic. It could have been parent-child. It could be us to our parent or another family member. But there was supposed to be love and trust there, but they betrayed you. How many of you have experienced that? See, my point is, in this broken, sinful world, our love has gotten twisted. It's gotten tainted by sin. It's messed up. And so we don't experience perfection in love. And by the way, our perception of love is a little bit messed up too. Let me give you a silly example of this. So I have three kids at home. And, uh, and so sometimes, you know, and, and two teenagers, by the way. And so sometimes mom and dad are awesome. And sometimes mom and dad are idiots. Okay? Just so you know. And so let me give you sometimes. So sometimes when dad walks in with a box of donuts, you know what, you know what they start feeling? They're like, oh, dad loves us. That, that's kind of the thought, right? And it's like, ooh, the donuts are out there. But then dad says, as I lay the big box of donuts down, I say, hey, hey, everybody, everybody can have one donut each. All of a sudden, it's like, dad doesn't love us as much. Well, what changed? Did my love for them change? Did, did love change? Did the definition of love change? Did how much I love them change? Did, no. Nothing changed. In fact, if we're going to be honest, why did I bring donuts home for them? Okay, well, there's technically, can I be honest? There's two reasons. One is because I love them. The other is because dad loves donuts too. And it's a great excuse to have a donut. Okay, <laughs> that, I didn't even think about that until just now, but it's true. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay, but, but the, 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 a big reason is because I love them. I know they love donuts, and I, this is awesome. My wife loves donuts. I, this is amazing. We're going to share donuts together. I love them. Why am I going to restrict them to one donut each? Also because I love them. Because if we eat an entire box of donuts, or one of you eats an entire box, that's probably not the best. Both of those decisions are out of love. But they don't necessarily feel that way, do they? See, our perception of love is tainted. It's twisted. And so it's hard for us, if we're going to be honest, to imagine that perfect love from God can exist. If we're going to be honest, we, we, we have a hard time believing that it can. And I'm here to tell you, it does. And that definition is God. But there's another reason, and this is somewhat closely linked the second reason why we struggle with love is because there's too many definitions for love out there. Um, so did you know if you Google this question, in fact, I, 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 I highly uh, suggest you try this at home because I did this. Google this question, how should I brush my teeth? <laughs> Do you know how many opinions you're going to get on how you should brush your teeth? You're going to hear, you're, I kid you not, I learned all kinds of ways that I should brush, brush my teeth. There's the 333 method. There's the American Dental Association suggests the 22 method. There are people that will say you floss first, then you brush. And then there's others, experts, who will say, nope, you actually need to brush first, then floss. And then some will say you need to rinse right after you, you brush to, to kind of rinse out all the stuff. Some will say, no, you need to wait 30 minutes so the, the, you know, the, the fluoride stays on your teeth and the enamel works and all kinds of stuff. And then some say, no, you need to wait an hour. Well, which one is it? Who knows? 
circular motion, up and down. Like, I've read all of that stuff. And this is not from like Joe Schmo down the street just has an opinion about it. We're talking about dentists, doctors, you know, these people. They're like, yeah, this is what you should do. Who knows? You know what? I, so you know what I did this? I, I was like, I brushed three times a day, two times a day, circular up and down, floss twice, and did it. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. That's dumb. Right? Why is it so hard? Because there's too many definitions. Can I give you one of the biggest things that our world pushes? The one of the biggest things our, our world pushes about love is that we should look for and seek the thinnest, shallowest, smallest part of love for as many people as possible. Do you know what I'm talking about? They, they, they suggest, they push us into a realm where we are trying to find as shallow a love as we can find across as many people as possible. For example, social media is a perfect example of this, isn't it? If you post something that is really important, really, really passionate from you, and you post it, and a thousand people like it, our world says you are loved more. But then a couple weeks later, you post something just as important, just as passionate, and only seven people like it. And what this world says is you are loved less. When the truth is, it actually, neither one is true. A thousand likes doesn't mean you're loved more, and seven likes doesn't mean you're loved less. In fact, it has nothing to do with love. It has everything to do with the other person clicking to fire up their brain and get a little shot of adrenaline. That's what it's about. And we know that. But our world pushes us to go for the shallowest across as many people as possible. And you know what God does? God turns that and flips it. So not this wide. He says, I actually want your love to be this deep with one person, and his name is Jesus. Flip it on its head. God has something to say. If you want to know love, follow God. Let God define what love is for you, who he is to you. Okay. Number three. I'm trying to keep moving. Can you tell? I'm trying to keep moving. Okay. Number three, love can be confusing. Can I get an amen on that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> love can be confusing. Let me, let me actually prove this to you from Scripture itself and that, that Scripture sometimes is confusing. Okay, I'm going to call out some confusing Scripture that doesn't make sense, at least at face value. Okay? So in order to do this, I need to take you back really quick to the Old Testament. So you guys remember the Ten Commandments? You guys remember that? Moses, he receives the Ten Commandments from God, and he takes them down to the Israelites. But did you know that Moses gets really angry, and he throws the Ten Commandments, and he breaks them? By the way, in that moment, can you imagine God going, that took us a really long time to etch that in stone. I mean, Moses, I get it. I know you're angry, and I know the Israelites are being idiots right now. But seriously, you just threw the tablets down? Okay, let's go through this again, you know? And, and so God actually brings his words directly to the people. In Exodus chapter 20, in verses 4 and 5, and I want to read for you what God... Now understand, this is not... This is somebody had to write this down, but these are God's direct words. God is speaking directly to us and about himself. That's important. 
Listen to what he says in Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. God says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. That's not something we usually read. We definitely don't see it on somebody's wall. Okay? But it is literally contained. If you look up, if you want to know where the Ten Commandments came from, that is the moment that they get them. This is right in the midst of the Ten Commandments. That's what God says. I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Now, I want to remind us what the first verse is in that definition of love that I just read before. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Here's the problem. God just said that he's a jealous God, and the Apostle Paul just gave us the perfect definition of love, and he said, love is not jealous. That's a contradiction, at least in words. Isn't it? Now, here's the truth. Is this a problem in Scripture? Does the Bible, does God contradict himself in Scripture? That's an important question. The answer to that is no. And some of you are like, well, I've Googled that before, though, and I've heard some people talking about it. I'm sure you have. Just like I've asked how I brush my teeth, and there's about a thousand, no, a million people that are telling me how I'm supposed to brush my teeth. Just because they're on the Internet, it's always true, just so you know, always true. You heard it from me first, always true on the Internet. There's no contradictions in the Bible. People will continually seek and try to find contradictions in the Bible in order to discredit God's word. They are always going to do that. Don't believe them because contradictions are not true. There's no contradiction here. So how do we reconcile God is love, love is not jealous, I am a jealous God? That rationally doesn't work. So how do we tackle this? Well, let me just talk about this for a minute. Remember, definitions matter. Do you remember we started there in the sermon? Definitions matter, okay? Follow me on this. I looked up the definition of the word jealous in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, okay? This is the first definition of jealous. To be hostile or hostile toward a rival or one, a person, believed to enjoy an advantage. Now, I don't know about you, but that is our traditional view of jealous. When somebody sees somebody else has something, they have an advantage, they have a thing, they have a marriage, they have a whatever, and we want that, and that's what we want, and we are jealous. Anybody ever felt jealousy before? I have felt jealousy before, okay? And I look at things, I see things, I'm like, oh, man. Anybody scroll on social media and you didn't get to go on a trip this year, but everybody else went on a trip this year, and you're like, ah, Wisconsin. I mean, at least it's 50, but it's not 80, and there's no sand. I don't have a drink in my hand. Ah, and I can't take a cool picture with my feet, and my toes are done perfectly, because that's the thing now. FYI, you're never going to see a picture with me and my hairy legs and my feet 
with a whatever in my hand. Not going to happen. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Okay. The truth is, we know that jealousy, that's what jealousy is. We think of that. It's when we're hostile. It's when we're painful. It's when we're longing for something else. In fact, if you look up the word envy, did you know that the word, the definition for envy and the definition for jealous are essentially the same definition? They changed the words. Merriam-Webster was like, well, we can't put the same definition in there. And so they changed the words, but it's essentially the same thing. Because jealousy and envy are the same thing when talking about it in this way. That's the first definition. But did you know this? You know how dictionaries, they have several definitions and meanings for words? Okay, that's the first one. And just to be clear, that version of jealousy is sin. It literally, if you are jealous of somebody or something, it separates you from God. That's what sin does. Sin separates you from God. Jealousy is sin. So how does God say, I'm a jealous God? Because we know God doesn't sin, so, and he's jealous, so it can't be that jealousy. Here are the next two definitions in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, same dictionary. Let me read them for you. Jealous, intolerant of unfaithfulness. And I added these two words, lies and sin. Intolerant of unfaithfulness. Or vigilant in guarding something. Hmm. Now that's a different level of jealousy, isn't it? Intensely, passionately guarding something, or what it said the first time is intolerant, oh, buzzword in our culture, intolerant of unfaithfulness. Can I just be clear? God is not tolerant. Very unpopular today. God is not tolerant at all. He loves you 100% unconditionally. Like there's no transactional in God like you do this and I will love you. No. But God is also not tolerant. And you know why? Because he loves you. He is intolerant of unfaithfulness. Let me try to illustrate this with a very silly yet serious example. It's both silly and serious. So many, many years ago, my kids were really young. They were really little. And we were at a zoo, a public zoo. And in the middle of this zoo, as sometimes they do, they had this. This was not at Vitense. It was nowhere near here. It was another state. I don't even know where we were. Probably a good thing after I tell this story. You're like, oh, I'm glad you were in another state. Okay. So we were at this zoo in some other state, and there's this play area in, in the zoo. And I'm standing there talking with, I can't even remember who I was talking with. I was standing there talking with some people. And our kids ran off to play on the playground, as they do, right? And there's this slide, and just to kind of explain the slide, the slide had one of those where you go up the steps to the top of the slide. And then at the top of the slide, there was a half tunnel. You know what I'm talking about? The tunnel didn't go all the way down the slide. It was a half tunnel. Okay, so at the top, you couldn't see who was up there. And down at the bottom, then you could see when they come out of the tunnel at the bottom of the slide. Okay, so my two, two of my three kids run over there. Okay, and I'm just talking and I noticed that they go up, you know, to the top of the slide, but then they never came out. 
And I noticed that there's a whole backlog of kids, you know, getting, trying to get up the stairs, but they're all kind of standing there looking and they're not moving. And, and this happens for like, I don't know, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes, way too long. Like they should be just going up and sliding and going up and sliding and doing all kinds of stuff. And so I'm like, something feels weird. Something feels off. And so I walk over there. And I look up the slide. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I'm leaning over the slide and I'm looking up. And there's an older girl. There's all these little kids. And then there's this older girl in the slide, in the tunnel. She's got her hands and her feet out. And she's blocking everybody from going down the slide. And I'm like, oh, mm -mm, no, 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 no. I got ticked in that moment. Now, Truth be told, part of the reason I got so angry was because my two kids were there, and you could see they were starting to get upset. There were a couple of their little kids that were starting to, on the verge of tears. Like, this had been going on long enough that she had been doing this to play on their emotions. That was very clear. She was being an evil bully. Plain and simple, that's it. Okay. I'm not proud of this next moment. I, I'm not. My intentions were good, my, my tactics were off. Okay. I put my head back into the tunnel, and I looked her in the eyes. I, literally, I stared through her head. I wanted her to know that I see you, but I'm burning a hole through you. Poor kid. I don't even know whose kid this is. This is another state. Again, praise the Lord for that. I looked through her, and I said, listen, you're going to get out of the tunnel, or else I'm going to go find somebody to kick you out of the zoo right now. Oh, man, she, she did not know what to do with me at that moment. And the truth is, you know what's really funny? I have no authority to find anybody to kick anybody out of the zoo. It's not my zoo. I'm just visiting. My kids are just behind you. I'm mad. And so I'm going to get you to move. Well, she did. After a couple seconds, she like, kind of looked at me like I made sure I was serious. And I just kept staring at her until she moved. And then she ran, and then she went down, and she walked off. I never saw her again. <laughs> But the truth is, can I tell you that that was actually jealousy. How was it jealousy? It was jealousy because I was jealous for my children and the other children that I saw the looks on their faces. And they had, this girl had stolen their joy, had stolen their freedom, had stolen their opportunity to experience the sight. I know that seems silly, but in that moment... My jealousy was for those children, including my own two, and yes, that's why I was so passionate, for them to experience the freedom of going down that slide and not having a bully mess up their life. I was jealous for them to experience that. And I would have done just about anything to make sure they experienced that. That is the kind of passion and love God has for you. He's not going to tolerate your unfaithfulness. He's not going to tolerate anybody else's unfaithfulness. You know why? Because he knows you're going to either hold yourself up or hold a bunch of other people up on a slide, on freedom, and they're going to experience salvation and grace on a scale that they had never known before. And what God wants you to experience and understand is he says, I want to release the evil from your life so that you can experience the full love and joy and power that I have to give. He is jealous for you. He 
doesn't want any of this world or Satan or demonic power or anything else to get a hold of you. He is jealous for you. His love is reckless and abounding and overwhelming. Not reckless as in careless, reckless as in not cautious, not calculated. God's love is abounding and overflowing and powerful. He's jealous for you. And so I'm going to just leave you with this question. I think we know the things that I said today up here. I think on some level, cognitively, we know up here what I just talked about is true. But I think sometimes we need to let this trickle into this so that it trickles out into this. It needs to change how we do this. But that needs to start here which means we need to connect this to this and realize that this experience is the kind of love that God wants us to have that comes from him. Have you, I'm not saying have you heard about or have you learned about, I'm saying have you, you personally, have you experienced the depth and the power of God's love in your life? Have you experienced his reckless, jealous love for you? If you haven't, I invite you, challenge you to give yourself to that. Because God is the epitome, the definition of love. I want to invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And as we sing this last song, now, truth be told, uh, I thought I was going to preach on a completely different story today. <laughs> and this song would have been perfect for that story. <laughs> but you know what's so cool about God? Is he knows because this song is the perfect way to end today. Because this song is very simply, you're going to know it, it's called Reckless Love. I was going to talk about the 99 sheep, you know, and the one that, that strayed. and all. That's what we're going to talk about. But the truth is that God had other plans, which he often does. And here's what we need to know. In a world where the world is telling you a hundred thousand different ways and things and definitions for love, what I want us to remember is that we need to go back to an anchor spot. What we need to do is we need to put the anchor and drive the root deep, 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 deep into the ground into the truth of what love is and who love is, and that love is God. Because we are not going to experience the perfection of love. Love is patient and kind, not boastful, not irritable, not rude, not any of those things. It never gives up, never loses hope, never loses faith. It's overwhelming. It is abounding. It is reckless. God's love is so for you, you don't have a clue as to how much he loves you. You don't have a clue how much he loves you. You know why? Because you haven't experienced that kind of love on this planet. Neither have I. 
And I've experienced some pretty amazing love. And yet God wants to pour out love that you've never known. And some of us are hindered by the fact that we think love is something different. And God wants you to know his love is abounding. It is overwhelming. It is overflowing. It is reckless. It is powerful. It is all-consuming. It is so incredible and perfect. God invites you into that. It caused him to sacrifice himself for you. He's always going to chase the one. The 99, he's like, they're safe. I'm going after the one. Oh, and there's another one. I'm going after the odd. I'm going after this one. I'm going after this one. He's always going to chase you. He's always after you. Because he's jealous for you. He doesn't want anybody else to have you. Because he loves you that much. Have you experienced that depth of God's love? Have you? Let me just pray, and then we'll sing this song. Jesus, Lord, it's, it's easy for us to sometimes just walk through our days and just kind of live life as normal. But today, I hope that there's a bit of a wake-up call, that you love us so deeply that you want what's best for us. If you, any parent in the room, they understand that they want absolutely the best for their child. That's exactly what you want for us. You want the absolute best. And you're going to call us out. You're going to push us. You're going to challenge us. You're going to hug us. You're going to love us. You're going you're to pour out your grace and your mercy and your salvation for us and through us and in us because you love us deeply. Your love is abounding, not cautious not calculated, but overwhelming. Help us in these next few moments and as we walk out of here to experience that love, the love that comes from you, the truth of who you are and how much you love us, that you are jealous for us. As we sing, God, may you just move on us. We pray and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.